You are listening to episode 25 of the EU Startups Podcast. Today with Sasha Michaud, the co-founder of on-demand delivery unicorn Globo, which is one of Spain's biggest startup success stories. Today, we are very excited to welcome Global co-founder Sasha to the EU Startups podcast. Global was founded back in 2015 and it's swiftly become one of Europe's most popular names in the delivery market. It also definitely was one of the heroes of the pandemic and it kept us all stocked up on food from our favorite restaurants, as well as essential items that we needed from supermarkets and pharmacies. And it also allows us to send gifts, care packages to our friends and family. Lobo really is a household name across Europe and across the world. So welcome, Sasha, to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for the invitation, Patricia. Thank you. So you are a co-founder of Lobo, one of Spain's most emblematic startups. But you yourself have had a pretty interesting career. Could you just give us a little background on your own personal story? How did you become the founder of one of Europe's most successful startups? Yeah, I've probably got a very a typical... <laughs> Um, story at least at least until I was 16. I actually started off as a, as a racehorse jockey um, when I was 16. I, I left home and was racing in the UK. I'm, I'm actually English Canadian. I was born in, in the UK um, and have a Canadian father, and, and I spent some childhood in Canada as well. But um, I was a racehorse jockey, um, maybe six, 16 to 21. I spent the last year um, in the US racing, and then I came to Spain um and loved Spain and I decided what am I going to do because there's not very much racing here so I actually learned to computer program um and fairly quickly this phenomenon which is quite mainstream today came along in the mid 90s called internet and I was happy <laughs> to set decide to set up a, a little company and, and it went quite well and since then I've been in different activities but mainly around technology um and and I spent nine years in the gaming industry with with a company that was then quite small, but grew up to actually to be the largest um, online gaming company, at least on the stock market, which is um, Betfair, which is now called Flutter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, in late 2014, um, I ran into Oscar. Uh, I had a similar idea in my head, and he was already pushing ahead with with his idea of global. Uh, I think the best way to describe it that back then was an Uber of things. So Uber were mm-hmm. moving people around the cities, and we thought we could be great with an app to move things around the cities um and so i joined him and when we launched over the beginning of 2015 um initially southern europe above all barcelona then madrid we quickly went to italy um latin america and then more middle europe as in um, eastern europe um and most recently africa today we're in 25 countries around 1300 cities worldwide and um, we have about 3,500 employees, around 60, uh, 75, sorry, thousand active Glovers. There, there are couriers who are active on the platform last month and close to 150,000 partners. These are restaurants and stores, um, local stores within our cities that, that are on the platform and, 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 are, and are selling their goods um, throughout, throughout our app. Wow, um, it's quite yeah. the story. 
I feel like it's a little that's a little fun fact that you are a jockey. <laughs> yeah, people, I, I didn't talk about it so much, but actually, when people actually meet me, this that and the most interesting thing they end up we end up talking about. And what was that like? But we'll leave that for another day. I think the audience doesn't want to hear about that. <laughs> so yeah, um, Globo has had quite a fascinating story, really. And in 2019, it joined the European Unicorn Club. So what was the original aim and ambition of starting Globo? Um, and have you faced any big challenges along the way? Well, I think one of the key elements, and we've stayed very firm on that, um, was to be multi-category. So when, when we first thought of the, and the fact the first version of the app didn't have restaurants or food in, in the app, it was, it was just something you could order anything in your city. And we really, our vision was to give everyone easy access to anything in their city. And the key there's anything. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't primarily focused on food. Um, so we worked with, you know, different partners of all, all types in the city. And but obviously what happened very quickly is our customers ordered more and more food than other things. So it became our primary category for the obvious reasons. First of all, the market's already educated. We've been used to ordering food at home or in the office for decades, even often before the Internet, people were used to phone. Um, so so I think from that perspective, it grew very quickly, the food categories. We realized this is a great opportunity if we jump on that and use that as our growth mechanism. But we still believe in this anything concept of actually you can order from any store or actually, you know, pick up anything. Um, and you see, so I think that was key that we were multi-category from day one. Um, sure. and, and now that serves us in good sense because now everybody's sort of moving into multi-category, like now groceries, but there's more and more. Um, and we've been doing that from day one. So we're in a great position with all the learnings we've had and the know-how, um, I think to lead that segment, at least in the markets where we operate. Cool. And have you had any big challenges along the way, do you think? <laughs> Hundreds. <laughs> um, I think I think the biggest challenge we've had, um, I think, you know, we've had obviously a lot of challenges. First of all, being fairly multi-category, I mean, when, when you know, 90% of your users are really focused on food, you can, it's very easy for us to have said, well, let's just be really good at restaurant food and let's not dedicate focus and resources to something that which is which is much smaller um that was a challenge and you know we had internal challenges you know the key management team would question that and quite rightly so or some of our investors so for us to have maintained that um wasn't always wasn't clear but i think our biggest challenge being born in barcelona and and, and spain is there hadn't been any major massive success stories come out of spain so access to funds mm -hmm. Um, people would confide that as a small Spanish startup could compete on the world scene against giants like Uber, um, you know, sure. who, are, who are massive, obviously, you know, um, just eat takeaway, which, you know, they've been on the stock market for, I don't know how many years and, you know, delivery hero now, which was became an investor and now is, is our, is our major investor. Yeah. These companies, you know, we're competing with them, um, in pretty much all our markets and how could we win that was, was a serious doubt. So we've had real difficult access uh to funding i remember one of our rounds you know we, we got 99 no's before we got a yes from vcs um That's like so, a, I, so, so i think belief you know belief that we could compete on the world stage and um and so therefore you know funds were a bit reluctant to invest in us yeah so based on that experience with with funding that's been quite a challenge what would you say are your your main tips to any startup finders out there who, who want funding and are struggling like this as well I mean, keep true to your to your vision. Um, don't get swayed around. I mean, if you if you've got something um, that that's that's going well, then then stay stay true to your vision. You know, you're gonna if you're doing things right, 
and the management team is the right one, then you're going to f- find somebody who, who's going to help you on the way. Um, you know, I also think uh, speed over excellence. Um, time to market is very important. Gain traction um, very quickly. Um, if you can show that, that your base product or your, your, your base idea has is, is, is got market acceptance and you can see the growth, um, then you can fix the other things around it to make it perfect. But don't try and get everything right from day one. Because if you try and do too many things, you end up not probably doing anything very good or very well. So, um, yeah, my advice would be less is more. Focus on the key elements of your business. Get some early traction. Um, stay, stay with your vision. And obviously surround yourself with very talented people. Um, yeah. you know, the team's everything. Ideas, you know, there's a thousand people right now with the same idea on the planet. Who's going to execute it is the key thing. Sure. So stay true to those foundations and, and the vision. Perfect. So Globo is, of course, now an international company and it's really recognized around the whole world. And um, your markets in Latin America, Europe and, and also making steps into Africa. Um, so how can startups successfully scale internationally? And what would you say is the reason behind Globo's ability to go international? Um. I don't think there's necessarily correct. There's different management ways or way you, ways you build your company, and they're probably they're all correct or, or incorrect. But um, but we we decided very very quickly that um, we want to be non headquarter centric. And what do I mean by that? Um, initially, you could pretend putting in processes and 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 execute based on a on a headquarter playbook. So therefore, it's much more scalable because if you just repeat. What headquarters is deciding in every single region, in theory, that should be much more scalable. You need less human resources, you need less modifications of the plan, and you just, you know, execute. But we chose a different way, which I, I firmly believe, believe in, which is, you know, hiring really top talent locally and giving flexibility and, and decision making at the local level. Because at the end of the day, Global is in 25 countries, as I said, or, you know, over 1,300 cities. But every city is different and, and certainly every country is different and every culture is different, you know, in different parts of the world as well. So what, what is right for Barcelona is, is definitely not necessarily right for Kiev, um, you know, or Accra in Ghana or, um, you know, or Casablanca in Morocco. So, so I think we, we definitely um, chose that. I think that was wise. I think it allows you to execute much quicker because you give autonomy to the countries. Um, sometimes they're less scalable and you, you have, you know, a lot of pain points. They want to, you know, some countries want to do things very different and, and maybe we don't have the technology to do that. So it does cause frictions, but, but it allows us to execute very quick and then allowed us to be much more local than our competitors. So going back to what I said earlier about, you know, David and Goliath, which has been the story of global um, against these giant, you know, not even unicorns, um, 60, 70, $80 billion companies, and how we yeah. compete with them um, is by executing much quicker and much more local with a local vision. Whereas I think many of them would go in with a global plan and think, you know, we can just replicate what we've done in Los Angeles, in, in, in Europe, and, and actually it's a, it's a totally different culture. I think that's helped us a lot. Interesting. Yeah, I'd say so. So taking just the time to kind of, as you say, localize where you are and, and make sure everything's completely relevant and built, tailored for, for that location is key. It's very interesting. And then based on that, so Glovo's not entered into like the UK or the US. Is there any particular reason for that? Or is it just in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, one, one of our 
big theories and one of our big focuses in how we've executed um, is that, you know, we believe there's, there's a lot of positive things about being market leader or, or very close to market leader. I'm not saying it's a winner take or market our, our industry, but there's certainly a lot of advantages of having a large market share. So we've really focused on areas geographically and countries where we think we can be, we can lead the market. And that I think is, is a strong belief. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's markets, which if we decided to go into them, like the UK, US, I mean, I'd almost say the whole of Asia, um, they're very mature competitive markets, mm-hmm. um, where for us to aspire to be leader or to get there would take us a long time and a lot of money. Um, and going back to David and Goliath, money is not something we've had abundance of compared to our competitors. So in essence, we, we decided to choose our battles where we thought we could we could lead the market and focus on on those um why why do i think it's very important to lead a market because not all companies in our space believe that some are having really successful businesses not leading any markets and being number two or sometimes number three so i'm not saying it's necessarily wrong this strategy but we have ours um it's because at the end the, the more orders or the more customers i can bring to my partners my restaurants and, and local stores in, in the cities, the happier they are with us because what they're, they're with Global to get incremental revenue. They're in, beginning with Global to digitalize their business. Um, and and the happier, the more they're happy, the more partners in local stores and restaurants I'll have. So the more I'll have in the city, and that will obviously reduce distances, um, delivery distances, which, which achieves another two things. It gives couriers more orders per hour, so a lot more orders. So they have more orders, more hours of orders, and above all, more orders per hour. So more income per hour. So they're happier. They're making they're making more income, um, and have more opportunities during the whole day to to make orders. And then obviously it gives a great UX to the customer because you've got not only the all the best partners, their favorite restaurants and stores in the city, which is fantastic, but we'll deliver it much quicker. So it's a three sixty. So that's why it's very important to have um, you know large volumes in the cities and, and large market share, in my opinion. Interesting. Absolutely. So going back as well to that idea of sticking to, to the original vision um, of, of the company and business approaches. So just last week, Lobo announced that it had, had reached carbon neutrality across the entire value chain. And this is about two years after you set the original goal. And sustainability is a real hot topic at the moment. It's at the forefront of, of most business trends that we're seeing throughout 2022. So how has Global been so successful in achieving this target? Um, so this is, you know, we, we have a we have a big big social impact team. It's been been important for Global from day one. Um, a lot of things we can do more of today and, and a lot of things we'll be doing later on, but it has been fundamental. And, and for me, there's a couple of things which are must-dos for all companies, in my opinion, and global warming is one of those. Companies must start adjusting their businesses to have first of all stop having a negative impact in that and hopefully sure. moving to a positive impact and then there's other things that that are intrinsic to global that are initiatives that we want to do because we believe it's the right thing but there's a few must and carbon neutrality is a must um so we committed a, two years ago to become carbon neutral by the end of last year which which today we are primarily you know looking at our business all the elements of our business where we have an impact and this is by the way direct and indirect so I'll give you a good example of what's indirect and what's, what's direct. Looking at all the, all the aspects of our business, how our offices run, how delivery is, 
our partners work with us. And, um, and first, we're trying to reduce that to the maximum possible um, without destroying the business and then compensate anything we can, can't reduce. Okay. And we work with, you know, um, offsetting partnerships with Offset Marketplace Bachama. Uh, we recently signed a new agreement with South Pole. Um, you know, they, what they do is they, they help us reduce emissions by compensation um, in different methods. Um, so I think it, it, it's important um, from, from that perspective. Um, when I say indirect, and why this is important is, you know, one of the biggest, um, you know, um, parts that we can reduce and improve is, um, is single-use packaging, which is what our partners have, you know, all, the, all our restaurants and stores. Um, what they do is, you know, they'll, they'll package the goods in either a bag or in packaging, and then the customer will receive that, and they'll often end up throwing it out the same day. So try and in, incentivize these sorts to start using sustainable packaging both recycled and easy to recycle. Um, and in fact, we launched an e-commerce store to, to facilitate that, to give them um, recycled packaging um, and and easy to recycle packaging, hence reducing our, the carbon footprint. Um, so, so these are the type of things we're, we're working on. Um, like everyone else, we all have a long way to go. With the, the packaging incentive, sorry, um, how many, oh, I'm on, on the top of your head, like how many of your um, clients would be participating in that program? Well, I don't have any clients, but we um, actually, we sold uh, more than 2 million units in 2021. Um, today, we only have it in Spain, Italy, Portugal, Morocco, and Croatia. So um, a small footprint of our, um, from our, from our, our total of 25 countries. Um, but I think, you know, the idea here is to expand this, um, and and we want you know before the end of 2030, you know we're aiming to have more than 90 percent um, of all our orders, um, you know, ordered through sustainable packaging. So that's working with our partners, giving them the tools, educating them as well. Uh, many are not aware of the importance of this, um, and pushing them to use and buy sustainable packaging either through ourselves or through other other viable viable vendors. Interesting. Okay. Thank you. And um, so what would be the other key commitments that you have with regards to sustainability and the run up to 2030? Yeah, so we've, we've got some ambitious targets. Um, you know, we've set these emission reduction targets and we're using science-based target initiatives, SBTI is well known in, across the and, you know, covering greenhouse gas emissions from global operations. So we want to get in line with, you know, all these reductions that are required to keep, you know, keep global warming up to a 1.5 centigrade um, and it's a lot of initiatives it's around you know using sustainable vehicles non-combustion vehicles um, we expect to have 67 percent uh, of those vehicles um, not producing emissions uh, you know already today we have five countries with more than 40 percent of our careers using sustainable vehicles wow. um, so we're pushing that in the right way obviously I've mentioned it before you know pushing over 90% of our orders to use sustainable packaging. Um, and, and I think, you know, just focusing on the key elements for, for the key elements, the three main elements, which have them the most impact in our, our industry are a, obviously how we deliver our goods and what vehicles and how we can optimize that. I've mentioned it, you know, three times now sustainable packaging and then food waste, of course, 
Um, and we have a program called Global Access, um, which we actually launched in, in COVID because um, obviously we became an essential resource, especially at the beginning of, the, of this crisis where, you know, people couldn't leave their homes or couldn't access goods, many stores. So actually we became an essential service for many city councils and NGOs to use us to get goods. But what came of that is actually that there's a lot of food waste being thrown out. And so we're working with NGOs, organizations um, to, to deliver that food waste, either through our partners, helping them um, reuse that food waste before it's thrown out, um, as well as through third parties who just want to get goods to goods to people. So I think those are the three elements we, we're primarily focused on and where our, our ecosystem has the largest impact. Interesting. It's really impressive stuff. And I think it's definitely an inspiration to to every company out there, whether they're in the delivery e-commerce space or not, to put sustainability at the, the forefront of business operations. It's really nice to see a company that, that's doing that and is being successful in it. Um, yeah, and I guess another, uh, alongside sustainability towards tackling climate change, which is obviously at the forefront of all of our minds, Another aspect of sustainability can be towards um, the workers and the staff. Um, so one key area in the delivery space that's received maybe a little bit of um, controversy, I guess, is um, the impact of rider laws and laws surrounding the, the people actually delivering the food. So what's Globo's approach to, to this? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, um... The future of work and how we all work is, is changing, changing very quickly. Um, I think mainly down to technology. Um, I mean, you know, the example all of us are living today with our with our jobs of how all of a sudden, you know, you, part of us uh, begin to work from home, um, either partially. Um, many companies are doing it full time, and this this is generally thanks to technologies that allows that allows that. And and I think this dynamics of a flexible. Um, work, whether it be where you work or how you work or or what times you do, um, is is definitely is a trend that's not going to go back. So we need to embrace that, and it has a lot of absolute a lot of positive things. I think you know, um, many years ago it seems perfectly normal, but on a Friday afternoon you can probably head to the airport with your laptop, get work done, and you know make your weekend longer thanks mm -hmm. to technology. Um, um, maybe you have to connect at eleven o'clock at night thanks to technology is not a good one, but you know so you. So I think what we need to do is we need to embrace um, all the good things about flexible work and platform work and, and everything that the good thing it brings, which is primary flexibility, easy access to income. Um, and, and then what we need to do, and that this is the reality, and we, and we need to raise our hand, especially gig economy companies like ourselves, is, yeah, but not everything's positive. And let's look at the things that are not so positive. And I think a couple of those are, are clear is, you know, there's 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 much less guarantees um, for gig economy and platform workers. They don't have a guaranteed necessarily guaranteed income per hour, or don't have a guaranteed number of hours. And and unfortunately, well, that's not right because many of these workers actually depend on this income as their a primary source of income and many of their only source of income. So so companies like ourselves and the industry, I think, have a responsibility. To make sure that if 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 a worker's you know been working thirty week thirty hours the previous week has a certain amount of income that he 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 to a certain extent can have that guarantee net because his both himself and his family are probably dependent on that income and we right. need to put in the commitments. So what I'm saying with this is just because it's flexible and autonomous doesn't mean we have to reduce the social rights. 
And there should be mechanisms. And then I think, you know, the way the EU and Brussels are beginning to look at this and, and hopefully they're beginning the phase of regulation. Um, they have a great opportunity to look, look at this and I think build groundbreaking regulation that maybe the rest of the world will see. Because one thing in Europe we do value, and I think pretty much every single country, um, is, is basic social rights. So um, we're definitely in favor of raising the bar. In fact, we um, last year launched uh, the Couriers Pledge. Um, it's called the Couriers Pledge and not the Global Pledge because we are hopeful that other platform, um, gig economy platforms will join it. It's not, it's not in inclusive. Um, so, sorry, it's not exclusive, it's, it's inclusive. Um, and what we've done is we've identified three, four or five things that we believe are fundamental and guarantees and what our commitment is before the end of 2023 in every single region, um, country, um, every single one of our couriers will covered by minimum basic social rights. And these include, you know, guaranteed earnings per hour. Um, it, it includes um, sick pay. It includes um, holiday um, pay, um, parental or um, um, leave. If, so it includes certain basic rights that normally are only associated with a labor contract. Okay. But we believe it doesn't need to just be associated with labor. I would believe that people who, who decide to be flexible, maybe have two or three jobs, maybe only want to work 10 hours a week, maybe want to work 10 hours one week, but actually next week want to work 30 and then work five, um, that they should have covered um, by basic social rights. So this is um, our, our push to lead the way on this. Um, I'm, we think it'll be standard. We think that um, however Brussels decides to regulate this, it will be in this uh, direction because, um, as I said before, there's a lot, a lot of advantages of flexible um, work led by technology or, or platform work. But there are some things that I think can be done a little bit better, and, and we believe in that. Um, I know a lot of a lot of our you know peers and 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 you know other companies competitors uh, thinking thinking the same way. So hopefully. Um, we can once we get to that point, then 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 we stop talking about you know the things that are not so good about platform work, and then we start focusing on on the good things. Yeah, fantastic! It's it's really great to hear you know how pioneering the global is being in in these two different aspects, you know, with respect to climate change and respect to to the the, the future work and and how people are yep. working. On and and the, and the, another thing, just to reinforce that this isn't you know, just us saying, hey, we're going to do this and everything. What we've done as well is we want to we want to be audited. So we've, we're doing this in conjunction with, with the Fair Work Foundation. Uh, I think they're probably the leading voice on, on gig economy work. Um, and I would say critical voice on gig economy work in Europe. Um, and we want them to be the judges of how we're doing, where we need to improve and where we need to get to. Um, and then we also um, we also looking um, at third parties as well um, to help us manage what is a fair earnings in each of our countries. So, so there's organisations out there who who uh, we're working in our, in our case with Wage Indicator. I think they're also the voice of what is a correct wage, hourly wage in different countries, um, and different based on other types of jobs, based on all the demographics and based also on the cost of living and things like that so so we're working with third parties to make sure this is done in the right way wow that's amazing it's really really great to hear so going off on that then what do you see happening for for the future of global over the next five years 
Well, we've recently come into an agreement with with which was our major shareholder um, to date, which is Delivery Hero. They they will be will be in fact becoming not only our, our major shareholder who are minority shareholders, they become our, our majority shareholder. So we'll be working hand in hand with them and continue to growing our business. Um, we we share the vision of where we think we want to be. Um, our intent is to, is to continue growing the next two years. We have in most of our markets, we have a huge opportunity of incredible um, double, sometimes triple digit growth still ahead. Um, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, we, we firmly believe in multi-category. Um, our fastest growing segments or verticals within, within our app in the different countries is not necessarily restaurant food. In most cases, it's groceries um, where, where, we've, you know, where we have um, uh, that business unit within the company. It's called Q Commerce, Q for quick. Um, mm-hmm. We believe quick commerce will be a huge part of e-commerce, fastest growing. What was maybe okay a few years ago to receive in 48 hours, what was probably okay last year to receive next day. Um, we don't even believe in same day. We believe that many, many consumers will want everything within, within an hour, within 30 minutes immediately. Not everything, but a large percentage of their online acquisitions, if you can receive it straight away now and you want it now, then why wouldn't you receive that? And that goes far beyond restaurant food and goes beyond groceries. Um, we're talking about electronics. We're talking about fashion. We're talking, and then the great thing about a company like Global and, and our counterparts is if the consumer more and more wants his goods immediately, well, it's very difficult for, for a large e-commerce to do that because normally the large e-commerce has the products or the goods you want miles and miles away, sometimes thousands of miles in a different country. Um, whereas we work with local partners literally in your neighborhood. So we're in a great position and unique position to facilitate those partners can deliver in a much quicker time than a, than a traditional and large e-commerce company. So actually they're giving a better user experience and probably the only ones can do that today. I'm a firm believer that retailers, our high street retailers, both small, small, you know, the small mom and pop stores, as well as the large chains are in a unique position to, to, to take advantage of that because th- this window of opportunity of being the only ones can literally get you something in 30 minutes is today. Um, the large e-commerce is, as we can read every day, are moving closer and closer to the consumer. Sure. They're even acquiring retail chains. So I think, you know, we all need to move very quickly and, and we're a facilitator in that. Um, okay. we're, we're somebody who helps them actually do that and get, get the goods to, to the consumer in, in, you know, 20 minutes and 15 minutes when, when, when 30 minutes, or even allows the consumer to pick it up in the store. If he wants, you can order through our app and, and pick it up in the store. So, so I yeah. think we need to move very quickly together. And I think the retail industry as a whole should seize on this opportunity. Absolutely. Great. Well, it's been so inspiring and, and insightful to, to talk with you today. Um, as a final question, um, what advice would you give to yourself when you were 20? Well, certainly not listen to an old fogey like me. Um, that's the first <laughs> thing I would say. Um, seriously, I mean, I, I'd probably say um you know follow follow your passion um you know don't think about you know the money or the success we, we you know generally live in, in a society which success is measured by capital um you know how big your company is how big you grew it what, what's its valuation follow your passion if you, if you follow things you really enjoy and that applies to everything um you're going to do it much much better um you and you're going to enjoy it more and and your job doesn't become a job it becomes a passion 
So you wake up every morning and it's not, you're not going to work. You're going to do things you enjoy and you can do that in, in a work environment. And I've been lucky to be able to do that. There's obviously a lot of luck around everything we do and in the right time at the right place, but I've managed to all pretty much my whole career, even from when I was 16, when I started being a jockey to, to now something totally different. I really enjoy what I do. And, and I think, you know, follow your passion. Don't, don't think about the economics. Wonderful. The, sec- the second comes after the first. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Sasha. It's been really, really great to have you today and um, to hear all of this story. It's been fascinating. So thank you. No, thank you. I'm delighted to be part of this podcast.